0: good afternoon it's good to be here today I'm thankful to have visitors with us encouraged by your presence I encouraged to be here to, to worship together in our uh, authority class recently on on Sunday afternoons we've been talking a lot about understanding God's will uh, and making proper application uh, of Scripture and coming to know what he desires of us and in one of the issues that we have just touched on briefly is the topic of instrumental music. And so I I wanted to take time today to address that topic and hopefully we'll be able to discuss it in our class as well. Uh, But maybe this will be able to to treat it in a little bit more detail, especially since I I know some have expressed that this is something that they have questions about, uh, that they're studying through. And I I hope uh, sharing some of the study uh, that, that I've done will be helpful to you. Because in the midst of the religious world that we live in, one, one of the outward things that really makes us stand out from other people, that the people may notice first time they come in, is that we don't have instruments of music in our worship. Uh, most other places that you go, you will, you'll find a piano an organ or a worship band. Why is that? Why is it that we don't? Is it just that we lack the, the musical ability uh, or that we, we lack the funds or is it just some Church of Christ tradition that we're following, that that's what we're used to, that's what we're comfortable with, or that's our musical preference. Well, I, I hope that's not the case. I, I'm afraid that uh, among some of us that's kind of what it's become, that in our thinking it, it can become, well, that's just how we've always done things. Uh, and if that's the case, then then we do need to reevaluate it. And w- what I, I think is sometimes the case when, when we stop teaching on it, when we stop talking about it, when we stop studying through it, uh, what can happen is we start with a spoken understanding and then we go to an unspoken understanding of an issue. And then an unspoken understanding turns into an unspoken misunderstanding, turns into a spoken misunderstanding. And I'm, I'm afraid some of my life I was in the unspoken misunderstanding stage. And, and so I hope by addressing issues like this from time to time, we, we can have a spoken understanding of what the Bible says about this and, and why it is that we do what we do. And we, we may think, well, an issue like this is just, it's not that important, it's not that big of a deal. This is kind of a cleansing the outside of the cup issue. Uh, well, in, in some ways, but giving God the type of worship that he desires is really a hard issue. Now, we're talking about some of the outward aspects of that, but it gets back to our desire to please him. Are, are, are we trying to, to do what we want to do, or are we genuinely, in everything, seeking to do what he desires of us? And so that's what I want us, our focus to be on this. What does God desire in our worship? And what has he told us that he desires? Uh, And the goal in this study is not to go to the scriptures to prove a position that that we've already determined. Our our goal is to go to the scriptures to determine the truth, determine what, what does God desire here. And to do that, I want us to address some of the arguments that would be made in favor of instrumental music. And that's really what I want our outline to be. What are the arguments for using it? And and what would the Bible have to say about those things? Um, And so I hope it will be helpful to you as it's been helpful to me. Let's start off. Our our first argument is it's not prohibited. Nowhere in the scripture, and this is true, nowhere in the scripture are you going to find a thou shalt not use instruments in worship. And so since God hasn't told us not to, why, why is it that big of an issue? Well, as we've been studying in our authority class, we see neither is it permitted. And when we come to the scriptures, our, our attitude can't simply be that we're, we're going to do what we think is a good idea, what, what seems good to us, as long as God hasn't told us not to do it. It's not a very good approach. Our, our desire in coming to the scriptures is what does God desire? That needs to be my first question. And so the issue here is not One of, has God prohibited it, but it is, has God permitted it? Has he authorized it? Is this something that he truly desires? And I think what we'll see as we look through the New Testament scriptures is that instrumental music is not the type of worship that God has ordered. Uh, I used to work at Subway in high school, and I, I have some experience in missing up people's sandwiches. And and what I've found is there's three basic ways that you can mess up someone's sandwich. When, When they give you an order, first of all, you can do something that they told you not to do. If you ask, do you want it toasted? They say no, and you do it anyway. They might be upset. You messed up their order. Or you can not do something that they told you to do. If they want extra cheese and you forget to put the extra cheese on, well, you messed up their order. But there's a third way that you can mess up their sandwich, and that's by doing something that they simply didn't mention. You know, if I look down at your sandwich and I say, you know what, I think onions are going to go really good on this sandwich. Uh, if you're Aaron, you'd be extremely upset that I put onions on your sandwich. Now she didn't tell me not to, I, I didn't you know, do something she said not to do, I did not do something that she said to do, but I simply did something that she didn't mention. And in doing that, I've messed up her order. Because it really doesn't matter what I think is going to be good on the sandwich, does it? Because it's not my order. It's not my sandwich. And when it comes to our worship to God, we need to realize it's not our order. This isn't just for us. This is his. And so he gets to decide, and that's really all that matters. All that matters is what God desires of our worship. And so when it comes to giving God the type of worship that he desires, I need to ask the question, well, what has he told me he wants? And when I understand what he's told me he wants, that's what I need to give him. Not adding to, not taking from that. And so as we come to the New Testament, what we see, Ephesians 5.19, that uh, Jonathan read for us just a moment ago, Here we say, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord. Uh, Here we're told to sing and to make melody in our hearts, speaking to one another. In Colossians 3 and verse 16, it says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to the Lord. Teaching admonishing speaking singing those are things that can't be accomplished with an instrument an instrument doesn't speak an instrument doesn't teach an instrument doesn't admonish and so what god at least in these verses is is telling us is that he wants us to use our voice and our hearts to teach to admonish to speak to one another in uh, hebrews chapter 13 And verse 15, we're told here, through him then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God, that is the fruit of lips that give thanks to his name. In contrast to the Old Testament worship, where they would bring the best of their animals to the Lord, or the the fruit of the field, the first fruits they would bring, or incense to the Lord, here he says, the fruit of our lips. So it's not the fruit of the field it's not the fruit of our fingertips it's the fruit of our lips our words expressing thoughts of praise and adoration to the lord as well as teaching and admonishing and so that's what god has told us that's his order uh, and i need to as i seek to honor him to give him that type of praise uh, and we have considered before the example of Nadab and Abihu in Leviticus 10. Here in Leviticus 10, verses 1 and 2, we read here, Now Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, took their respective fire pans and after putting fire in them, placed incense on it, and offered strange fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. And fire came out from the presence of the Lord and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. What did Nadab and Abihu do wrong? Did they do something that God had prohibited or that God had specifically told them not to do? Well, here it doesn't say strange fire which he had prohibited, does it? It says strange fire which he had not commanded. Um, And so God didn't have to go through a long list and say, Nadab and Abihu or or Levites, priests, don't give me this kind of fire and don't give me this kind of fire and don't give me that kind of fire. Simply by telling them what he did desire, anything else was strange fire. And we see God in his hot displeasure uh, striking them down for that. Now God may not respond the same way to us uh, today, but yet his displeasure will be the same. And so we need to be careful that we are only doing those things which God has ordered or commanded us, uh, and in that way, honoring him. For instance, consider the Lord's Supper for a moment. Um, would it be okay if I said, Well, you know, we'll, we'll do what God said, we'll, we'll take the unleavened bread and, and we'll take the fruit of the vine, but I think it would be a great idea if we added a Hershey kiss. To symbolize the love of Christ. Would that be an okay thing for us to do? Well, of course not. No, God has specified what he wanted us to do, and we're not at liberty to to add something else to that. But in the same way, when it comes to our worship in song to the Lord, are we at liberty to add something else that he has not uh, commanded of us? And so, Just as it is not legalistic for a customer at Subway to expect me not to add something to their sandwich, it's not legalistic for us to teach that we should only do those things that God has instructed us to do. You know, in in Subway, that's just common sense. Uh, And in the same, in our service to God, I, I think we should have the attitude that we only want to do those things that we know are pleasing to Him and not presume upon His authority by adding anything To that but some might say well how can you say that instruments would be wrong we see it all over the place in the Bible in the Old Testament we see time and time again people worshiping with instruments of music and that's true there's no question about that we do see instrumental music in the Bible in the Old Testament but as I hope most of us understand here we we are no longer under the Old Testament under the Old Covenant Hebrews chapter 8, verse 6 through 13 talks about how we have a better mediator, Jesus Christ, who has a better covenant based on better promises. And so this is no longer a fleshly covenant, but a spiritual covenant. He uses the uh, passage in Jeremiah 31 to talk about this new covenant written upon our hearts, which makes that old covenant obsolete. Um, Hebrews 10 verse 8 and 9 talks about how the sacrifices and burnt offerings under the old law have been taken out of the way and replaced by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. The old methods of worship were even put away and replaced in the new covenant. And so we recognize that animal sacrifices, burning of incense, keeping the Sabbath and other Jewish feast days was all part of the old covenant and does not authorize us to do those things on our worship today you know it, it would not be okay for me to decide that we're we're going to have a you know animal sacrifice worship today Well, no, that 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 was part of the old covenant now I may butcher an animal today but not in worship to the Lord um, because that was part of another covenant would it be okay for us to start burning incense to the Lord Today. Well, that's that's never condemned in the New Testament. It's never specifically said that, that was taken out of the way. But that was part of the old covenant worship. It's not something that we see today. And I think in the same way, just as you know the the burning of incense is used to describe the prayers of the saints under this new spiritual covenant, uh, I think we see Ephesians five nineteen kind of makes that point that the the physical outward aspect is seen in the making melody in our hearts today. But we might say, well, when you look at the Old Testament, you know, if, if, if it was acceptable for them to use instruments and music without authority in the Old Testament, then why do we need authority for it in the New Testament? Well, were they using instruments of music without authority in the Old Testament? I think what we'll find is that in every case that, that we can see, that they were using musical instruments, it was by God's direction. In fact, we see that there were some fairly specific things instructed them about instrumental music in the old law. Musical instruments in the Old Testament were instituted and authorized by God. Consider Numbers chapter 10. Here in Numbers chapter 10, we have the, the first instance of instruments under the old covenant. And God gives them some specific instructions on what type of instruments they were to make, who was to play them, and when they were to be played. In Numbers 10, verse 1 and 2, it says, The Lord spoke further to Moses, saying, Make yourself two trumpets of silver, of hammered work. You shall make them, and you shall use them for summoning the congregation, for having the camps set out. And then later on, if we go down to verse 10, It says, also in the day of your gladness and your appointed feast and on the first days of your month, you shall blow the trumpets over your burnt offerings and over the sacrifices of your peace offerings, and they shall be a reminder of you before your God. I am the Lord, your God. And so here specifically, they were told what instruments to make, how many of them to make, what material to make them out of, who was supposed to play them, when they were supposed to play them. At the early stages of the Old Covenant, this is the first instruction, and at this time, the only instruction we see regarding instrumental music. Now, when you get to the time of David, those instructions are expanded. And we see in the time of David, he introduces not only trumpets, but harps, lyres, cymbals, timbrels, and pipes. Is he here presuming upon God's authority and saying, well, we know God liked the trumpets. I think he would like this. Well, no, that's not what we see. With David. If you look in 2 Chronicles chapter 29, Second Chronicles chapter 29, as uh, the temple worship is being reinstituted in the time of Hezekiah, we see that they hearken back to the commands given in the time of David. In 2 Chronicles 29 and verse 25, we read, He then stationed the Levites in the house of the Lord with cymbals, with harps, and with lyres, according to the command of David, and of Gad the king's seer, and of Nathan the prophet. For the command was from the Lord through his prophets. The Levites stood with the musical instruments of David, and the priests with the trumpets. And so here, now, we don't have... A specific record of when God commanded David through Gad the seer or through Nathan the prophet to bring in these instruments but here very specifically it says that in the time of Hezekiah this was a command from the Lord given to David given to Gad the seer and to Nathan the prophet this was not something that they just presumed their own that well we think God will like this Well, no, there were specific instructions given, and we see if similar language in Ezra and Nehemiah hearkening back to the revelation uh, of these things in the time of David. And if we continue to read in verse 27, And 28, it says, Then Hezekiah gave the order to offer the burnt offering on the altar. When the burnt offering began, the song of the Lord also began with the trumpets, accompanied by the instruments of David, king of Israel. While the whole assembly worshipped, the singers also sang, and the trumpets sounded. All this continued until the burnt offering was finished. So just like we saw back in Numbers chapter 10, this was something associated with the temple worship that, that started at the beginning of the sacrifice, ended at the end of the sacrifice. Uh, And so we see what instruments were specified. We see who was supposed to play them, when they were supposed to play them, where they were supposed to play them. All in this case were specified. Uh, That God did authorize these things. Now there are a handful of instances where we see instrumental music in the Old Testament outside of the temple worship. Um, But thus far in, in my searching, the only ones that I've been able to find are ones associated specifically with prophecy, with Miriam uh, the prophetess in Exodus 15, even before the Old Covenant was instituted, and with the the prophets uh, during the time of Samuel in 1 Samuel 10 and verse 5. Uh, So really all that we see is is associated primarily with the temple worship in some way, whether preparing for that, that worship or in that worship itself, or with... Prophets uh, in their prophecy is what we see instruments being used for in the Old Testament. And so when we come to the New Testament, it would be logical for us to ask some of the same questions. Well, if we are going to use some instruments, what instruments? Who should play them? Where should they play them? When should they play them? Well, we don't see any of that because the temple worship was done away with. Uh, John 4, verse 21 through 24, Jesus tells the, the woman at the well that they will no longer worship me in, in Jerusalem, or around this mountain, but uh, God desires that the true worshipers will worship him in spirit and in truth. These physical aspects of, of the, the location and, and limit to time and, and many other things like that, the Levitical priesthood, are all done away with that. And with that, I think we see instrumental music would have been included in that same Realm, And historically, there is no doubt that the early church rejected instrumental music, uh, at least for one reason, because of its associated with Judaism, with the temple worship. We see that in the early church, the first instrument that we can see historically to find its way into Christian churches was around 600 AD. And it was not generally accepted among the church until the 13th century AD. So while it may seem odd today, back then that was the generally accepted understanding. And it was rejected largely because of it's associated with Judaism, Justin Martyr, in 140 AD. Says the use of singing with instrumental music was not received in the Christian churches as it was among the Jews in their infant state, but only the use of plain song. There in 140 AD, you have Justin Martyr saying, We didn't accept it like the Jews did. And all the way in. 1250 A.D., we have Thomas Aquinas say, "...our church does not use musical instruments as harps and psalteries, to praise God withal, that she may not seem to Judaize." We see some others, many others, during that long time period associated instruments with pagan worship, and that was another reason that they rejected it, but also because it was associated with Judaism. And in fact, the Jews themselves associated instruments with the temple worship to the extent that it was never accepted within synagogue worship. Synagogue worship was always without instruments. It was only in the temple worship that we see the the Jews accepting that historically. And so we, we can't look at the Old Testament here and use that as our grounds to accept instrumental music any more than we could. The burning of incense, animal sacrifices, and unless we see that being something that is reiterated under the New Covenant. But what if we said that an instrument is just an aid, not an addition? Does the general command to sing authorize singing with instrumental accompaniment? Uh, we haven't gotten to this point in our authority study, but we're going to talk about the concept of generic authority, where God, for instance, in Mark 16, verse 15, says, Go into all the world and preach the gospel. Well, the general command to go would authorize quite a few things. Uh, I could walk, I could run, I could ride a bike, I could ride in a car or a boat or a plane. All of those would fall under the category of go. Well, in the same way, could I say that sing is a general command and it could be singing in unison, it could be singing call and response, could be singing four-part harmony, could be singing with instrumental accompaniment. Is this just another form of singing, another way of filling, fulfilling that command? Is that a legitimate argument? You know, I, for us today, we, we have a, a pitch pipe here, and we, we play the note to help us start the song. And could we say, well, instruments, you know, just like a pitch pipe helps us start on the right note, an instrument just helps us stay on the right note. Is there anything wrong with that? Or just like a songbook helps us all stay together. Could we say that an instrument is an aid? Well, I think the primary issue with that is that God didn't consider it to be just an aid under the Old Testament, but an element of the worship. And so I think it would be hard for us to say, well, it was an element of the worship then, but it's not an element of the worship now. If you look at Psalm 150, who we read, praise him with trumpet sound. Praise him with harp and lyre. Praise him with timbrels and dancing. Praise him with stringed instruments and pipe. Praise him with loud cymbals. Praise him with resounding cymbals. At that time, th- this was part of the worship. It was an element of the praise going on here. Now, you can't really say that about a pitch pipe. Praise him with the pitch pipe. Well, that doesn't exactly work. Uh, you know, praise him with the songbook. Uh, well, no, we, we may use these to facilitate the praise, but here this idea is that this was part of the worship. So I think it's hard for us to make the argument that it's just an aid, when that's really not what it was for hundreds of years leading up to the new covenant. And I think another point that is worth considering is that in order to be an aid, it must help us achieve the goal of our worship and we need to be reminded here that the goal of our singing is not to please the ears of men or to entertain us the goal of our worship is to edify one another to teach to admonish and to make melody in our heart to the lord and i think we're on shaky ground at least to to say that instruments can truly aid in that purpose And the primary reason I say that is because the the scripture does talk, uh, New Testament does talk about instruments in the context of worship. The one case that we see it talk about instruments in the context of worship is 1 Corinthians chapter 14. If you want to turn your Bibles over there, 1 Corinthians chapter 14. And starting in verse 6, here we read, In the context of the early church when they had the gift of speaking in tongues, it says, But now, brethren, if I come to you speaking in tongues, what will I profit you unless I speak to you either by way of revelation or of knowledge or of prophecy or of teaching? Yet even lifeless things, either flute or harp, and producing a sound, if they do not produce a distinction in the tones, how will it be known what is played on the flute or on the harp? Uh, For if the bugle produces an indistinct sound, who will prepare himself for battle? So also you, unless you utter by the tongue speech that is clear, how will it be known what is spoken? For you will be speaking into the air. Uh, There are perhaps a great many kinds of languages in the world, and not a kind is without meaning. If then I do not know the meaning of the language. I be to the one who speaks a barbarian, and the one who speaks will be a barbarian to me. So also you, since you are zealous of spiritual gifts, seek to abound for the edification of the church. Therefore let the one who speaks in a tongue pray that he may interpret, for I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What is the outcome then? I will pray with the spirit, and I will pray with the mind also. I will sing with the spirit, and I will sing with the mind also. Here we see instruments in the context of New Testament worship. But we see it's used as an illustration of something that does not have the power to edify. Something that does not have the power to teach, to admonish, to communicate. And so here, just as those tongues without an interpreter could have been a very spiritual experience, could have been a very emotional and stirring experience, Paul says, if you don't have an interpreter, if if there isn't meaning there, uh, if you're not praying with the Spirit and the understanding, then don't use that. And he uses instruments as an illustration of that. Uh, that if there's no d- distinction in the tones, we, we can't understand what, the, what is meant by that. And so I, I think we need to be careful to say that this is actually aiding in what God intended for the purpose of our worship to be. Instruments cannot communicate cannot speak to one another, cannot teach, cannot admonish within themselves. And so, unless they are able to express something of substance and meaning, uh, then they're really not aiding that purpose. You know, uh, another context earlier in the same section, 1 Corinthians 13, verse 1, says, if I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but do not have love, I have become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Great! Noisy gong, clanging some Is that what we're supposed to say in this passage? Well, of course not. No, these are being used as things that make no difference. They don't accomplish anything. And so I think we need to be very hesitant to say that they would actually aid in the purpose of our worship. I have no doubt, just like tongues, that it would be a very emotionally stirring thing. And there's nothing wrong with that within itself. But... I don't think they aid in what God has stated to be our purpose, in genuine communicating thoughts, communicating words, speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. And so, in a way, I think instrumental music no more aids the goal of our song worship than butter and jelly would aid our partaking of the Lord's Supper. It would make it taste a lot better. You know, we we might enjoy it more. And I might make the argument, well, if I enjoy it more, it's going to be more meaningful to me. Well, I think our primary focus needs to be, does God enjoy it more? I need to be working on making melody in my heart to the Lord, because that's what He cares about. If our genuine purpose is to teach to admonish, our genuine purpose is to make melody in our hearts to the Lord, um, I think we need to be at very least very cautious about saying that instrumental music would genuinely aid in that purpose. Finally, we already touched on this a little bit in our Bible class. Can I say that it is simply making melody? Ephesians 5.19 says that we are to sing and make melody in our hearts to the Lord. Um, Can I say, well, singing? Yes, we're singing, but we're also making melody. Is that a legitimate use of the text there? And we already mentioned in our Bible class uh, the classical meaning of the word solo around 500 to 300 B.C. is defined by Thayer as to pluck off or to pluck out the hair, to cause to vibrate by touching, to twang, specifically to touch or strike the chord, to twang the strings of a musical instrument so that they gently vibrate, and absolutely to play on a stringed instrument to play the harp. So around 500 to 300 BC, yes, it did mean to play a musical instrument. But just like we have words like "awful" that used to be a good thing, now it's a bad thing. or you know words like lewd" that used to just mean having to do with laity and not religious people. You know, words that over the matter of a few hundred years have changed in meaning, we see words in the Bible changed in meaning. And while this was its classical meaning by the time of the New Testament, the testimony of the the lexographers is in unison here and telling us that it meant to sing. In the New Testament, Thayer says to sing a hymn to celebrate the praises of God in song. Baxter says in the New Testament to sing praises. Sophocles says to chant, uh, sing religious hymns. And then we see Packhurst says, and because... Stringed instruments were commonly used both by believers and heathen in singing praises to their respective gods, hence to sing, sing praises or psalms to God, whether with or without an instrument. And so what Packers is saying here is that the word itself no longer contained the idea of the instrument. That may have been its origin. But by the time of the New Testament, um, we see it simply meant to sing praises. Now, if in the context an instrument was supplied, it could apply to that. And we do see it used that way. Uh, Solo did not completely lose its classical meaning. It, It could still be used in that way if the context demanded it. The Septuagint around 200 B.C. talks about David soloing with his hands in 1 Samuel 16, verse 16. In the first century, Plutarch and Josephus talk about Alexander uh, soloing a piece of music charmingly and skillfully. Uh, They also say the Levites stood round about them with their musical instruments and sang hymns to God and soloed on their psalteries, as they were instructed by David to do. Uh, Lucian and Clement of Alexandria in the second century AD said it is impossible to play the lyre or solo without a lyre. And they also say sing and solo to the harp or lyre. So we see there are times, even after the time of the New Testament, that it could be used in that way. But the word itself doesn't contain the instrument. So the question we need to ask is when it's used in the New Testament, how is it used? In the New Testament, does it include the instrument? And it has the potential of doing that. But what we see in Romans 15, Ephesians 5:19 is one of five places that the word "solo" is found. In it. Romans 5:6 through 9, we see here it says, "So that with one uh, one accord you may with one voice glorify God." Later on, our translators say, "Therefore I will give praise to you among the Gentiles and I will solo to your name." Universally, translators are going to translate it "sing" there in that context. First Corinthians 14, verse 15, that we already addressed, talks about soloing with the spirit and with the understanding and with the mind. Here again, in context, very clearly talking about communicating. Um, earlier in the context, musical instruments were used as a negative example of what they were not supposed to do. In James 5, verse 13, the absence of the instrument implies singing. All that we have here just says, if someone among you suffering, then he must pray as anyone cheerful, let him uh, sing praises or solo. Universally, translators are going to say sing, sing praises, Uh, because there's no instrument in the context. The only place where it's not translated sing is in Ephesians 5, 19. Here, we already have a word for sing. We are to sing and solo in our hearts the Lord here we do have an instrument specified and the instrument is the heart if you want to look at the context of Ephesians 5:19, there seems to be a contrast between the pagan worship of being filled with wine uh, and their uh, you know rowdy demonstrations of, of worship to their gods uh, in contrast to that we are to be filled with the spirit we are to speak to one another in psalms hymns and spiritual songs singing and making melody in our hearts to the Lord uh, and so the one time that it's not translated saying we have an instrument supplied, the instrument is the heart. And le- let me say, as we conclude here, it is more important, it is a foundational importance, that we use the instrument that God told us to use. If, if we, we can say, well, we're not, we're not using instruments, we're good. Are we using the heart? If we're not using the heart, we cannot be pleasing to God. But if we are using the heart, we also want to give him the type of worship that he has ordered. We don't want to mess up God's order. Uh, And so I hope this has been helpful to you today. To see that this is not just some tradition. This is the way we've always done things. This is the way we like things. I like instrumental music. I enjoy that. I am moved by that. But the question really is not how I feel about it because it's not my order, it's God's. The question is, is it pleasing to him? we might say, well, is this really that big a deal? Can we really condemn people who use instrumental music? That's the wrong question to ask. It doesn't matter whether I can condemn it. It matters what does God desire? Our standard is not whether or not we can condemn something. God is the judge of the heart. And I am confident that people who do use the instrument in ignorance, uh, not knowing that God desires worship in another way, um, that God is able to make them stand. That God cleanses ignorant sin. But my attitude needs to be, not what can I get away with, (laughs) but what does God desire? And if this truly is what God desires, then let's give him what he desires. Not just in the assembly, but any time we are in worship to God. Let's worship him in the way that he has instructed. Well, this wasn't a a lesson that focused on much in way of of changes that we as individuals need to make, but if there is any change that you realize you need to make today in your attitude towards God, in your attitude towards his word, um, or in your relationship with him, make that change today. Uh, If it's of a public nature, we ask that you'll let us know as we sing at this time.